Welcome back to the Muzzle Blast Podcast, the official podcast of the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association. This week, we're talking with Dave Erig. Dave is a veteran sportsman and outdoor writer. He's written several books. He'll talk about that just a little bit. And he's also the editor of Muzzle Blast Magazine. If you're ready to learn something about turkey hunting with a muzzleloader, I suggest you get out a pen and paper now and start taking notes because Dave really goes into a lot of nice details and a lot of nice knowledge that he's gathered over his 50 years in hunting and especially muzzleloader hunting. If you're not looking to take notes, Dave still has a ton of fun stories that he's going to share with us over the next half hour. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, my friends out there in the world of black powder and white smoke. This is Dave Eric. I'm the author of Muzzleloading for Deer and Turkey and a bunch of other books. I'm also the editor of Muzzle Blast Magazine for the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association. And I've been hunting turkeys for about 50 years. And when I was asked to come up with a story, boy, that was a tough one because there's so many to share with you. But I, I think to be as poignant as we can on this, we all want to be good, effective, and lethal turkey hunters. Let's face it, we're not out there taking pictures. We're out there getting meat for the table. So if you got a paper and pencil ready, uh, you're going to hear some good uh, tips as we go along the turkey trail. So let, let's kind of start out with... Uh, Shooting a muzzleloading shotgun is a far cry from shooting a rifle. Um, some of you probably have started with a uh, patched round ball, punching holes in papers, or maybe you went the route of shooting a mini ball or, or something even uh, more modern like a Sabo round in your inline rifle. But turkey hunting with a shotgun, mm -mm, none of that. While the individual shotgun pellet doesn't have the same power and accuracy as the long rifle's round ball, when they are put together into an angry swarm of shot fired from a smooth board around close to 1,100 feet per second, their knockdown power is immense. Turkey hunters need to understand the relationship between velocity and shot mass in order to develop a dense turkey topping, toppling pattern and vertebrae disrupting penetration. And while that may all sound like it's coming out of the classroom, just let's treat it as common sense. Um, in this segment, we're gonna help you develop powerful loads necessary for turning your pet smoothbore into a real turkey getter. So let's start with a little bit of a flashback. Last year, I was hunting here on the farm in Berks County, Pennsylvania, and uh, saplings were greening up, as was the undergrowth, making it a little bit difficult to see the turkeys. But uh, I had three birds, I called them the three amigos, who were constantly coming in every morning and just causing a racket before the season started. So that one may finally rolled around, and I was able to get out and hunt a little bit um, I found the, the foliage somewhat of a challenge. Saplings kept getting in my way, while a platoon of lichen-covered boulders obscured a clear view of a bird that I had heard. He gobbled, and he'd walk back and forth, and he'd gobble some more, and I thought, how can I get close enough without spooking him? Well, the turkey decided the question for me. He came straight in when I stopped calling, which is ironic because everybody thinks they have to call a lot. And I found that that is just not true. It's just the opposite. When a bird knows where a hen is, he doesn't need to hear it 13 more times. He's coming in after the first one. So anyway, this big 
bodacious bird comes in and sunlight's glinting off his bronze feathers and I'm getting all excited. Aligning the, the beads, I have brass beads on top of my Petersoli 12 gauge, but aligning those beads with the head on this bobbing red and white thing that was going up and down as he was looking for his prized hen uh, was challenging. And uh, the bronze gilded ridge runner was really testing every ounce of nerve I had because he was so close. That gobbler was about between 20 and 15 yards away. And he would just move between the may apples and the spice bush and stick his head through an opening and then quickly pull it back. And if you're a turkey hunter, the number one thing you need in your saddlebag is a boatload of patience. Patience, 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 because if you move, the hunt is over. And knowing that, it was kind of tough holding this heavy double-barreled shotgun across my knee and trying to keep it aligned with where I thought his head was going to make its next appearance. Well, he tested every ounce of nerve that I had, and when he got 15 yards away and into an opening, I didn't have the opportunity to move in a, a better position, and I had to shoot toward the left, which is my weakest position. His uh, head was flush with exuberance of spring, and this talking Tom was letting it all hang out. He left his booming gobble fly, his beard went straight out from his chest, and he flaunted all his maleness that God gave him. Meanwhile, my love-struck plastic hen didn't respond to his ardor, and he immediately stopped and thought, something is wrong. And he lifted his head and went, and I thought, uh-oh, he's out of here. But somehow my trigger finger had squeezed tightly on the right barrel, and a load of number four pellets, driven by a century's worth of 2F black powder, did the trick. Before the white smoke cleared and the echo of the shot could return from the opposite ridge, this barren of the beach ridge was down for the count. Now, outwitting a, a turkey with an old-fashioned muzzle-loading shotgun's a real blast from the past. It's about as much fun putting the hammer down on a bodacious bird as it is getting ready for the hunt. It's also an ultimate challenge for those who are looking for putting the thrill back in the hunt. Good calling techniques will bring a bird in within 50, 40, 50 yards, but for a modern buffered load to take it out, not so with a muzzle-loading gun. If you intend to smoke a gobbler with black powder, you're going to need to get that bird in another 15 yards closer. And this is thrilling. It's a thrilling close encounter of the feathered kind, and it takes far more attention to details than just slipping a three-and-a-half mag into your favorite autoloader shotgun. Knowing that a flock of turkeys roost on a ridge and feed in a valley is just not enough knowledge for a muzzle-loading turkey hunter to be successful. In most states, spring gobbler hunting is restricted to the morning hours. That means that a muzzleloader hunter has to be putting turkeys to bed the night before. Fortunately, the birds help us in this regard as they love to cackle while flying up into their favorite roost trees before saying good night. And if you've never tried it, it is something worthy of getting out in the woods for because it is exciting, exciting, exciting. Roosting areas are most often used more than once, which kind of makes it easy for hunters. If you watch the ground, you'll see an incredible amount of turkey droppings found beneath certain large trees. 
Turkeys have favorite trees, just like people have favorite houses. A typical roosting tree is large, open, and provides good escape cover through the canopy. If you can find such an ideal roost, don't automatically count on the birds being there every night, though. Weather has a definite effect on whether they roost high on a ridge or lower on a bench. And for you folks out in the Midwest, you just went through some terrible weather with tornadoes. And trust me, that would definitely get the turkey's attention and probably make them move down to the lowest part of a, a hill or a mountain. Hunting pressure also can force the flock to change its location because turkeys don't like it when people move in on their space. Having located an often used roosting site, the next detail to ponder is whether you should set up to call. Wild turkey can be mindful of details, especially when something in the environment is new or misplaced. If that clump of brush sprouting a major branch wasn't there last night when they roosted, the turkey certainly will be upset by its appearance the next morning. In other words, don't invade their bedroom when you are setting up. You are too close. Even the less experienced jakes know every rock, every shrub, every fallen tree within 50 yards of their favorite roost tree. When smoking a gobbler, you're going to need to call a bird to within 30 yards of your setup. 20 would be even better. Locate a spot within the open, open forest floor that provides good visibility and uncluttered shooting fields. This is especially true when using decoys, but be aware of barriers. One of the main reasons a gobbler won't come in in the past is the magic 40-yard barrier because he became a creek, pond, road, fence, and wary and has stopped strutting. If you're not familiar with your area, it may have unknown obstacles. Opt for the flat ridge top because they usually have a fewer natural disruptions. If your state allows the construction of a blind, particularly a natural one made from green vegetation, use it. Unfortunately, Pennsylvania doesn't allow me to do that, so I have to rely on fabric. A natural fence of branches or ferns allows you to make the necessary adjustments in your aiming posture without allowing the bird to key in on your movement. But be careful. Don't allow your silhouette in your blind to happen along the top of the ridge. Gobblers can pick up silhouettes faster than a gunner can blink. Once you've located your gobbler, either from putting him on the roost the night before or after causing him to divulge his position in response to your attractor calls, it's time to get serious about calling. My advice to greenhorns, and for those of you who are not familiar with the term, a greenhorn was a cowhorn in a, a barrel that came across the salty ocean, and they were sprinkled with copper sulfate, turning the cowhorn green. In other words, it was a new horn that wasn't yet worked for a powder horn. To get him started in the right direction, a soft cluck and series of soft yelps will bring him off the roost. If you don't score shortly after the fly down, and most of us don't, I have to admit that, the bird has left your area. You'll need to create a, a shock gobble situation. By that, I mean using a loud crow call or a red-tailed hawk squeal or even a lost turkey call, and most likely you're going to get a nasty gobble from your phantom bird. Unfortunately, he'll only call once to let you know where he is. That music allows you to key into the bird's new location, and so you got to get ready to move. 
even though you love that fancy blind that you bought from your favorite big box store, you can't take it with you, so it's time to get natural. One of the earliest types of turkey calls, which was shown to our early muzzle-loading ancestors by the woodland Indians, is the turkey wingbone. Many self-styled mountain men, including me, today forsake all other calls as inauthentic. But I've noticed the widespread improvement added by a cowhorn tip bellow on the bottom of the wingbone call. With a bit of practice, basically by squeezing and, and pursing your lips, this is amplified into what sounds pretty close to a, her a turkey hen. And it could actually be quite loud and thunder across the valley. So you have to be careful by softly singing in Shymore gobblers. Another one of my favorite calls, if the wingbone doesn't work, is my faithful lynch box call. I've been carrying this cedar box call for 50 years now, and uh, it, it's proven itself far more effective, at least to me, than slate calls and glass calls and diaphragm calls and all the other calls put together. It just seems to be the easiest for me to control, and the birds sure do respond to the sounds in spite of less than perfect cadences. And when you're cutting or making a loud, rapid series of clucks and yelps, the box call is the simplest one to control. The bottom line for getting a smoking gobbler into black powder range is to tone down your calling. In other words, whisper the love yelps to your ears. Think about it in human terms. Would you shout into your girlfriend's or wife's ear if you were get, trying to get her attention? Of course you wouldn't. She'd probably slap you. After all, loud and aggressive calling is great when you're shouting across the room for someone to pay attention, but when you want to get intimate, you need soft and sweet music. Smoke polling a gobbler demands that you get close, much closer than your friends who towed a three-and-a-half-inch magnum. You might want to buddy up with your friend, though, and have him call the bird through your position. Oftentimes, the love-struck Tom will walk unaware right through and give you a really close encounter. Long before you sit out in the turkey woods, though, you need to consider your turkey load, and now it's time to get that pencil and paper out. The powder wad and shot must hit with the authority of a big-game buster. Gobblers will flop when swatted with DuPont and Galena which is an old-fashioned way of saying black powder and lead. But you can bet that they will also pop right back up and set their wings off the ridge before the smoke clears if you didn't hit them with a swarm of heavy pellets. Since you want to take the gobbler out of the game quickly, the size of your pellets and the velocity at which they're driven must be up to the task. A load that you used for grouse or pheasant hunting just isn't enough for a wild turkey. Using a seven-and-a-half pellet for the grouse and a number-six pellet for pheasant has always given my charcoal-powered tube the best pellet density. Moreover, I've all, always been able to put a sufficient number of pellets through the brush and into the neck of upland game for quick feel, kills. But when I first tried it on turkey hunting some five decades ago, I find out the hard way that my game getter load just didn't have what it takes to produce beards on the wall and white meat in the oven. 
what occurred one foggy spring morning was a real disappointment that still stings my hunting memories. As fate would have it, a big bronze-feathered boss gobbler responded to the soft yelps of my guide, noted outdoor writer Shirley Grenoble, who worked her magic and pulled the big bird to within 25 yards. A big red, white, and blue head periscoped above the mayapples to take a look-see. Orange fire, red-hot sparks, and the breath of a dragon blew the swarm of pellets straight to the target. Slap that turkey right into the leaves. And as the roar echoed down the valley, that downed gobbler shook his head, oriented his compass, and set its wings over the edge of the ridge. And I sat there speechless. That gobbler had absorbed a good percentage of a 10-gauge, one-and-a-half-ounce load, fired at about 10, 50 feet per second, and lived to gobble another day. Why? The answer was penetration. I had unwisely opted for a dense pattern of set number seven and a half pellets, but they just didn't have the oomph to penetrate the turkey's vertebrae. Every hunter has a moral responsibility to learn from their mistakes, so I set out to learn from mine. Penetration is a result of three factors. One, velocity. If you're not shooting at over 950 feet per second, you're too slow. Two, pellet size. Turkeys are big game animals, and unless they're sitting in your lap, you need to hit them with something big and hard. And three, pellet hardness is important. Pellet velocity is a direct result of the volume of black powder or reproduction powder that you're using, plus the resistance of the weight of the shot string and its resistance to the barrel. Slow velocity is no friend of a shotgun pellet, since they lose velocity and energy very quickly. Turkey are truly big game birds, and the load that worked on upland game won't satisfy your requirements for a 20-pound feather-armored trophy game bird. Regardless of the gauge of the shotgun and 10 or 12 are better choices for muzzleloaders, you need to keep your pellet velocities faster than 1,000 feet per second at the muzzle. And just to give you an idea, 90 grains will in a 12-gauge will produce about 960 feet per second, and 100 grains are going to give you 1,031 feet per second, and 110, which I think is too heavy and blows open the pattern, 110 grains is going to give you about 1,100 feet per second. Using the volume-for-volume volume measure, that same 100 grains of powder will give you an ounce and three-quarter, excuse me, an ounce and one-quarter amount of shot, and that's going to come out of there, like I said, over 1,100 feet per second, which is plenty. Pellet size is the other variable in determining the amount of energy imparted to the neck vertebrae or the brain of a turkey. The larger the pellet, the greater the amount of energy and penetration your gun will deliver. In a penetration study by ballistic expert Tom Roster, who was commissioned by Winchester Olin Corporation, data revealed that at least three pellets of any size must strike the brain and or spinal cord area of the turkey's neck. One of those three pellets must penetrate bone and smash neural tissue. 
data also revealed that an average of 13 pellets would strike the head-neck area to get that average of three pellets striking in the lethal area. Under 30-yard shots favor the hunter using number five or number six pellets because of their increased number, but longer than 30-yard shots require the energy of number fours. Pellet hardness prevents deformity. Both during the acceleration inside the barrel and with the penetration of feathers and bone. The harder the pellet, the better the chance of reaching the goal of the brain spinal cord area. Round hard pellets also increase pattern densities, but hardness should not come at the expense of giving up weight, which leads to a decreased penetration. Therefore, muzzle-loading shotgunners should stick to pellet materials like lead, bismuth, and tungsten iron. That, of course, being dependent on whether their barrel was designed to handle it or not. The first bird to test the load in that next spring was Silent Sam. Why they call him Silent Sam? Well, you figure it out. I intended to correct my mistakes from the previous hunt, but this gobbler had spoken only once while on the roost, and as soon as he joined up with his flock of ladies, the woods filled with the sounds of songbirds and squirrels, but not turkey. Having worked Silent Sam the week before, I knew where he was headed. Lower on the ridge was a grassy field, abandoned by a bankrupt dairy farmer, and waiting for another wildlife-endangering housing project. There was only one logging road that crossed the shallow stream at the bottom of the hill, and this was my destination. My friend, world champion turkey caller Butch Dill, and I did an end-around football maneuver, set up the feather flex hens, and waited for Sam. True to his namesake, old silent Sam heard the diaphragm yelps, spotted the hen decoys, and was anxious to quickly take advantage lest they disappear without his immediate attention. So Sam made a beeline to our trap. I barely had time to pull the hammers back to full cock before his blushing, wrinkly head appeared over the brass beads on the top flat of the shotgun. Boom! That 10-gauge loaded with a sentry load, 100 grains of 2F powder, and the same 100-grain volume of pellets roared to life. Silent Sam did a backflip, and two hunters had quite a back-slapping jig to celebrate success for this charcoal burner. I felt redeemed with the new load of number five pellets. The years since that hunt have seen a number of improvements in the sport of muzzleloading smoothbores. Plastic shot cups, lube-impregnated wads, shotgun quick loads, and even new types of propellants have all made their presence known. But the process of loading a smoke pole is still the same. We need to start with a clean barrel devoid of oils as well as fouling. Snap a couple of caps to blow out <clears throat> the nipples and pick the touch holes if you're using a flintlock. Then measure an equal volume of powder and shot separated by over-the-powder cards or cushion wads. And some people like to use plastic shot cups as they protect the barrel as well as having a minor tightening ability on the patterns. And finally, a thin overshot card. When this load is rammed home, an audible hiss from the breech will alert you to the fact that the nipple or touch hole is clear and ready for priming. 
but always check the mark on your ramrod to make sure that the load is properly seated. Also, I think it's a good safety move to not prime the shotgun until you set up and are in the turkey hunting position. Smoke poles only have a half-cock position for safety, and by not capping or priming the gun before you walk to your setup, you're ensuring that the day will be a happy one and safe for everyone enjoying the sport. The art and science of smoking a gobbler is an advanced course in the maturation of turkey hunters. It demands more attention to details, but it returns this investment in time by putting the thrill back in the hunt of making meat the old-fashioned way. Shotguns and smoothbore muskets have offered black powder hunters a new challenge here in the 21st century. Using the same techniques as rifle hunters have learned, a black powder or Pyrodex or triple seven or any of the other replica powders loaded with a watt shot over card make this a new thrill for hunting, not only turkeys, but pheasants, geese, and other small game. Muzzle-loading shotguns usually must be cylinder bored in order to get the wads and the cards down the barrel. And this is why many of the old-time shotguns fell into disuse when breech loaders came along. The muzzle loaders couldn't have the chokes unless they had heavy steel barrels that could have metal removed in a process known as jug choking. Today's modern muzzle-loading shotguns, like the Petersolis, are superior in that they have screw and choke. This allows the constriction chokes to be removed for loading and then replaced to give pattern performance equal to modern effective chokes. The type of choke is determined by its ability to throw 70% of shot into a 30-inch circle at 40 yards. Shotgun loads are carrying heavy projectiles, ranging from an ounce, which is 437 and 5 tenth grains, to a big 8-bore, maybe 875 grains of lead. With that much mass powder charge, be absolutely certain to use the right granule size of powder. Double F or FFG black powder or its equal in replica powder. Never load more than the manufacturer's safe minimum. Excuse me, the safe maximum. Those thin shotgun barrels are not designed to be overloaded. Besides, less than six pellet hits are usually lethal on any game bird, and you already have 132 pellets of number fours in a light one-ounce load. So shoot straight, my friends, and get out in the field with that muzzle-loading shotgun for turkey because there's no greater thrill. And shoot straight, keep your powder dry. Thanks. If you'd like to hear more from Dave, we'll have links to his books down in the show notes. And if you're listening on YouTube, it'll be down in the video description. You can find more of Dave's work in Muzzle Blast magazine. If you're not a subscriber, be sure to check out nmlra.org and subscribe today. We deliver Muzzle Blast to your door or your email each month. That's 12 issues every year. And with Dave being the editor, you get to hear a lot from him over the course of your subscription. And with your subscription, you're also getting access to our Muzzle Blast archive. And that gives you digital access to every magazine 
magazine that's ever been published from Muzzle Blast. That's going back to the late 1930s. There's tons and tons and tons of great hunting tips and hunting stories in those magazines. If you're not a subscriber, be sure to check out NMLRA.org, especially here during turkey season. I'm going back through the Muzzle Blast archive and sharing quite a few of the turkey hunting tips and stories from the Muzzle Blast archive. As of recording, we're still dealing with COVID-19. We have set up NMLRA.org COVID-19 for you to access up-to-date information on how COVID-19 is affecting the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association. With that, we're also running a digital Muzzle Blast subscription sale. You can sign up for a one-year subscription for just $20. You'll get your one-year subscription, but you also have digital access to the Muzzle Blast archive I talked about before. So for that $20, you're not getting just 12 months. You're not just getting one year of magazines. You're getting almost 80 years of magazines. So if you're interested, be sure to check that out. We're just running that right now. We've all got a lot of time on our hands, and we figure if we can get you something to read to keep you busy, it keeps off the cabin fever.